Welcome to Acts of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to feel the pressure of review season pressing down on me. And I'm not even in the industry that, that thoroughly anymore. You must be dead. It's that time of year. <laughs> <laughs> sure is. It takes a year off your life every time it happens. And who is our special guest? It's me. I'm back again. It's Dio. I mean, Eric. It's Eric. Eric's back. <laughs> Eric Van Allen is our back. Our old pal. Welcome back, Eric. Hello. Y'all Y'all decided to bring me back to talk some RPGs. I thought I'd come on back to talk some RPGs because there's a lot of RPGs these days. It's a surprising number of them this review season, I feel, both from like the the high end side and the indie side. So it's been a good time to be playing RPGs. I would say it this has. review season has been a lot of B games or B plus games with a handful of exceptions, but some of them have been very good B games. And it's not always a bad thing to have smaller games as opposed to the mega hits. I've been no, here for like 10 minutes and you're already calling Tales of Arise a B game. I can't believe this. <laughs> I like Tales of Arise. It's a great game. It's actually one of my uh, favorite games of the year. It's going to be very, right. it's going to be up there on the list, I think. Though I've been playing of Tales of Vesperia and I like that game more than I have any right to. It's pretty funny. I mean, it's yeah. so charming. <laughs> I just really like the cast, except for mm-hmm. the stupid kid, Carol. He screw him. He's like Scrappy Doo. Yeah, but the way that Rita and Carol interact and the way Rita just tortures him makes oh, it all Rita's worthwhile great. to me. Mm-hmm. Rita, She's perfect. Rita's my favorite. <laughs> I had a feeling you'd like her, especially when you, you level up and she turns around and just kind of dismisses you with a hand wave. The mm-hmm. second I got Rita in my party, I was like, I was instantly like, I'm in. This is my yeah. girl right here. Yeah, she's totally. No she's love gone, Carol. Out of my party. No love for Rapide in here. Oh, are you kidding me? Rapide is definitely in my party. Rapide, who just like does dog stuff, has like no importance to the plot, but is just hanging nope. around because he's cute. like, you know what? I'm chill. I'm just going to hang out and do dog stuff. Sometimes the main character is talking to him. He goes, rough. Mm-hmm. You know, or makes noises or just looks around. You know, he doesn't have to talk. He just smokes a pipe. Mm-hmm. I can't remember uh, off the top of my head the name of the main female character, uh, the kind of princess. What's her name again? Um, Estelle. Estelle. Yeah, Estelle. Yeah. I love how there's a running sort of gag where Estelle is trying to get Rapide to like her and he just won't have anything to do with her. Well, this week we will be talking about a different kind of RPG. Yes, we're going to have our old pal Jason Wilson back on the show to talk about Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous, the big CRPG that has been taking a certain kind of RPG fan by storm. And we're going to have a full review of that in our second segment. But first, a little bit of housekeeping. If you enjoy the show, do us a favor. Please leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. It brightens our day and it helps the visibility of the show. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catpot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford and Eric is at Simusi. That's S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. And every time I say his Twitter handle, I always go full Minnesotan with the O's. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I like watching you try to suppress it every time. You're like, here every it time. comes. I can't help it. Oh, God. Oh, God. Of course, we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. We should have a schedule for October coming up. One of the highlights. We're going to be interviewing Ray Chase this month. He does a lot of voice acting in the RPG space that will be exclusive to a lot of our patrons, at least in the early going. So that'll be a lot of fun. We 
We also have a brand new website, Nadia. Thank Yay. you so much to our pal, Matt Memes. It's called MattCom over on the Discord. We're working with me over the past month to get this thing off the ground. Go check it out. It's gorgeous. Something that's like of note. I mean, obviously, we use it as a repository for all of our podcasts, but we're also going to do blogs, Nadia. Yep, yep. I have some good stuff coming up. A blog like it's 2005. <laughs> well, I mean, podcasts went away for a long time after 2006, and th- now they're hip again. So blogging's going to be hip again. Mm-hmm. Podcasts didn't go away. Yes, it kind of did. Podcasts it have faded. always been around. It, it was just like the new hotness for a while. Then it, it sort of fizzled, not really fizzled out, but it evened out for a while, and it became really hot again. I want a scene like in Scott Pilgrim where Knives tells me, I love your blog. Aww. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But we'll just be using it as an opportunity to noodle away with, you know, thoughts about different RPGs, that kind of thing. I don't know. We might end up writing about food or something or the Minnesota Vikings. Probably not the Vikings, but. (laughs) (laughs) But go check it out. Bloodgodpod.com. That is the name of our new website. Hopefully enhances the visibility of the show. And oh, by the way, we also have some merch. Over Ooh. on Redbubble with Acts of the Blood God. You can go buy. It's just it's a small store at the moment, but you can go buy some stickers, some prints, um, some art prints from our 300th episode. We'll drop the Charlene and Dropouts print in there as well in the near future. And we got to work on some uh, hoodies and or yeah. T-shirts. We need some good designs. I don't know what to do with hoodie. I am drowning in hoodies. I lo- I'm obsessed with hoodies. hoodies. I just... I just got like one. It's not really a hoodie, but a kind of a same zip up concept from mm. uh, Square Enix. I got an Endwalker jacket. Ooh. So uh-huh. it's like, well, now I have another jacket to obsess over because I'm like that. All right. Let's move on to what we are playing, the sacrifice that we are making to the blood god. Eric, you're our guest. Please tell us what you have been playing in the wonderful world of RPGs. Yeah, so I, I've been playing a couple things. Uh, the primary thing I've been spending a lot of time with is Eastward. Uh, I finally oh, yeah. got Good around game. to starting that. It, it So three days ago, I don't know if I would have agreed with you in saying good game. And now the further in I get, the more I'm starting to see what this game is doing and appreciate it for those terms. Uh, it's such a... It's it's such a thing that is itself like it, it's very nostalgic. It very clearly wants to pay homage to like so many different things, you know, whether it's the mother games or Zelda or just any amount of like Dragon Quest. There's an entire game within a game that is just a roguelike yes. Dragon Quest, which kind of owns and might be my favorite part of the game. Earthborn. But yeah, it's so good. It's so good. Uh, but I felt like I'm in chapter five now and I felt like for the most part in the early goings, it just kind of spun its tires and was not, I couldn't really tell where it was going. If the story was going to get interesting. Now I'm at a point where at least like the vibes are happening and I've come to the conclusion that this is vibes, the game, like this is about the art. This is about the atmosphere, the music, like just wanting to hang out in this world because the story is is good, but it's not anything revolutionary for me yet. Um, with some some very good moments, I'd say like there are big moments, but the moment to moment storytelling kind of falls short for me. Yeah, that it's uh, a little bit lacking. I find I I was complaining last week about how it does have a bit of tonal whiplash. Yeah, where 
you have like this moment, you probably know a couple of moments where mm-hmm. it's like, wow, that's really interesting. Where's this going? Mm-hmm. And then it just goes to something else for a long time and you, you spin your wheels, as you say. Yeah, it it wants to take its time. And I feel like it's okay for a game to want to have that to be like, we're going to let this drag out a little bit because we want to instill this idea of living in this place and being in this place for a long amount of time because then you start to really care about it. But I feel like the first two chapters struggle with that a lot. And it isn't until you get to New Damn City that it starts to feel more like what it wants to be. That's where I am now. Yeah. Yeah. Like I haven't I've put it aside for now. I'll be going back to it. But right now I'm doing Act Razor. But I, I know exactly where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. So that that's interesting going. And I think it's I definitely think it's an interesting game. I don't think I'm on the side of I, I feel like there are kind of two camps, like people who just love it and adore it for what it is. And I'm not there and yeah, I'm not same. in the camp that like strongly dislikes it either. I've seen some takes that were like, oh, it just is a nostalgia fest that doesn't really do anything. I don't think I'm there. I agree either. with that. No, no I think I'm just true. somewhere in the middle where I'm like, this is just good video game to be in like if i wanted something that was going to last me for all of a summer road trip like pick one game and this is my road trip game for the whole summer it, it this one easily it's it's just that sort of thing that you can kind of go back to and get really lost in or just spend a little bit amount of time in and really feel like you've gotten a lot out so that's eastward for me right now uh and then i've been playing a lot of Wildermyth. uh which yeah, we I, talked about Wildermyth a little bit earlier. Nadia, this is definitely your kind of game, by the yes, way. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If I wasn't inundated with everything else, I'd probably go to try. Have you all talked about it on the podcast Not before? enough. No. I feel no. like this is a game that unfortunately we overlooked, and mm. it is certainly within certain indie circles in particular, Wildermyth has been really talked up, but I do think that in even in terms of game of the year discussion it has very much flown under the radar when maybe undeserving it's easily in my top five for game of the year like without question i don't see it dropping out of that because it's basically for the uninitiated it's it's what if tabletop role-playing melded with xcom melded with like procedural storytelling elements. Basically, it's it's what I wish XCOM had been going into Chimera Squad and stuff like that, where it's what if these units had RPG stats and a story and could fall in love with each other or develop rivalries with each other or stumble across an ancient bear spirit that transforms them into a half bear <laughs> like uh, <laughs> there's so much it, it is a procedural game so you can either play these set campaigns which are very much like a, a tabletop campaign where you have kind of the set storyline that you're playing out with a party um, made up of warriors hunters and mystics which are their version of mages and it's the coolest magic system i've seen in a long time where the mages don't just like throw fireballs but they connect their spirit to things in the environment and then use that kind of like avatar the last airbender to turn it into a weapon so like you can infuse your spirit into a tree and then explode the tree to make shrapnel fly everywhere or you can rip a piece of a boulder off and turn it into a discus and throw it stuff like that Um, which makes the battlefield feel very alive because now all that cover is also potential fodder for your magic uh But the procedural storytelling it does where you are just starting out with these randomized or defined characters and then 
all these events are happening to them. Their stories evolve over time. You run into events where you can decide like, hey, yeah, I want them to go walk into the lake that reflects the cosmos and maybe something cool will happen in there or, you know, maybe not. Maybe we should stay away from that. Um, And romances can develop and campaigns go long enough that your characters can have children and those children can join your party. And uh, at the end of campaigns, you can put heroes that have become particularly legendary into your like hall of heroes that can then appear in future campaigns as like legacy characters, basically like folk heroes who can either show up for events or become part of your party there. Uh, It's just amazing the way it takes all the things that you would want from a tabletop role playing session and turns it into a single player XCOM style game and just does it effortlessly. (laughs) Like it's so good and it's also so modular that I mean, there's workshop support for it. So people are already coming up with really cool stuff and I'm anticipating even more there. Um, it's it's something that if any anything I just said appeals to you, you need to be checking it out. I think that this is kind of the future of a lot of role-playing games, the sense of having a lot more freedom mm-hmm. in your individual games and the sense of having an advanced AI or procedural elements functioning as a kind of DM. Like a lot of this isn't exactly new, but it's mm-hmm. becoming a lot more refined over the years. And um, a game like Boulder Myth definitely represents that. As for me, I just really enjoyed being able to have the two male characters immediately be in love and then mm-hmm. being able to have them kiss. <laughs> and it was very sweet. And very quickly, they became a nice little trio of characters and they were going on adventures. Mm-hmm. And I kept going back and forth between town, back and forth, back and forth. And I was like, wait a minute, I think I'm doing this wrong. But it's uh, it's an enjoyable game for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm currently running a campaign where my company is named the New York Mets. This is <laughs> Wilder Mets. And I'm turning people who have volunteered by taking a I personality test. I volunteered, but I was too slow. You have volunteered. The The thing with this that I did not anticipate is where when people usually do this with an XCOM campaign, it moves faster because people die in XCOM all the time. Death in Wildermyth is less common. It can happen. But usually if someone dies in battle, they kind of get three different options. And you get, you know, do you want to carry on and go for like a last ditch effort, uh, which will give you like some of your health back. Do you want to retreat from battle, but your character will sustain an injury that will persist throughout the campaign. So in one of mine, a character lost an eye when, oh, when no. they fell in battle. Eye patch. So they, Did they have a cool eye patch? They had a cool eye patch. It gives okay. you a cool eye patch. Nice. They were also like half fire spirit. So it ruled um, <laughs> like that's the thing is you could start mixing and matching all this stuff and your characters become these like they start out as just templates and then become these characters naturally. Um, or you can go out in a blaze of glory and basically say like this character will die now, but they're going to take out an enemy on the field. Uh, no matter what the health or anything is, they get to go down in a blaze of glory, which I think I've had. I had that happen once against the final boss of an act and it was glorious. Like this, this character just sacrificed their lives to end the great calamity and it, it ruled. And all this happened just from gears turning and cool things happening. But because death is not as common, I have to wait for characters to retire so I can hire new ones. So you are first on the block for when I get a new batch of recruits, (laughs) mostly because I have a lot of dudes in the party now and release a variety. Yeah. (laughs) Do you want to be a warrior? You want to be a mystic? You want to be a hunter? What are we feeling here? Oh, definitely a hunter. 
Hunter. Okay, I yeah, could use a hunter. Yeah. I don't have a lot of hunters right Nadia now. Nadia so. and I are very similar in that we always pick the bow characters with the the, the dog companion. Mm. Yeah, mm. definitely go for the archer, the light armor, animal loving type. I accepted a long time ago that I'm just a barbarian player. Just <laughs> head, no thoughts, head empty, dual axes, run into the Meat. battlefield. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah. Nadia, what have you been playing? Uh, I actually really like Act Raise or Resurrection or whatever it's called. Renaissance. So you're in that's on it. the you're in on those that graphical art style. I don't care. Like the graphics are the. I don't care. I really, really don't care. Like okay. A small team. What counts is that. Okay, so it's it looks okay. It's not it's not fantastic. I will say though, that the town scenes are done really well because you can see the little people going about their lives, and I think that's really neat. And when you smite them with a lightning bolt, they kind of like wail and, and throw their arms into Nadia, the air and stop uh... smiting people with lightning bolts <laughs> but you have to that's the whole fun of act razor because you have to tear down the old and build up the new and mm-hmm. the higher their population mm-hmm. is the more power you get and the game gets that and that is what is important at act razor i can play i can start off in fillmore which is in this game it's a little bit slower they don't let you loose as fast as they do in the original but once you're out of fillmore you're pretty much open to screw around with the game however you want in that classic act razor fashion and i did like i'm like oh i'm bored with build to building fillmore now i have a high enough level to go clear up blood pool okay cool i cleared up blood pool i'm gonna go back to fillmore and i don't know give them this stupid thing i found and they're like yay thank you god and yeah they just they treated the property with a lot of care and it's obvious that the people behind the game care a lot and they added a uh, like a whole bunch of content to it that works for it, and I I'm just happy with it. I think it's a good game. When you ask Nadia if she's a god, you always answer so, yes. yes. <laughs> I heard that line like my parents were flipping through the channels and they came on to Ghostbusters and they were watching it, and I was I don't know what year it was five I was five or six, and I heard that line. I thought it was the funniest thing I ever heard in my life. I thought it was brilliant. Also, Nadia, you got to play a lot of Final Fantasy fourteen yesterday, but you can't talk about it yet. Yeah, I cannot talk about it. The embargo is not up till the middle of October, but I did get to play, and I did get just to interview Yoshi Just in time Yoshi for B. new Charlene dropouts. It'll, yeah, it'll be just in time for new Charlene dropouts. I got to interview uh, Yoshi P, and that was intimidating because I was told, oh, it's a group interview, and usually you think group interview, you think five or six people. It was just me and my friend Jenny from Silicon Era. We had Yoshi P all to ourselves. Oh, <laughs> so, that's intimidating but exciting. It was exciting because that's, that's so rare. So he was... He was super nice. I know he must have been exhausted. He looked really, really tired, and he has every right to be tired, but he just really gave a lot of good, thoughtful answers to our questions, and yeah, that was that was pretty amazing. So can I talk about something I watched instead of something I played? Because no. what I've been playing has actually been Football Manager, but <laughs> <laughs> what I watched recently was Evangelion 3.33 in the rebuild of Evangelion, because I've been... I recently rewatched all of this series, uh-huh. and you can go listen to our Patreon episode um, where I discussed that with Emily Vanderwerf. It was a lot of fun. But now I'm watching the rebuild films, and the first movie I, I watched, I did not like. I did not like the first movie. I found it was very overdone and pretty annoying, and it was kind of a poor representation of the my frankly some of my favorite episodes in anime history. I just just thought it was kind of artless. The second movie was really good. I actually love the second movie. Mm-hmm. It captures everything I like about Evangelion with the slice of life stuff. And I think it does a great job with Asuka. I think Asuka is so much better 
in movie two. Mm-hmm. I find her a much more likable character. They drop so much of the cringe stuff mm-hmm. with uh, Kaji mm-hmm. and everything yeah. and how she's trying to be an adult, everything. I think they really delve into the essence of Asuka and make her a deeply sympathetic character by the end. So mm-hmm. I like movie two. And of course, the end, you know, the finale is just off the hook. What, the, what a great finale. It's the seven remake moment where they go like, okay, there was some weird stuff going up to this where you're like, what's going on here? And now they're just, the Dementors are flying around. And Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Please don't remind me of that. <laughs> <laughs> and then movie three, of course, the fir- I've seen movie three. I had seen mm-hmm. it when I first came out and I did not like movie three at the time. And I was, I was, I was just really busy being mad at movie three the entire time I was watching it. So I did not give it a chance. This Mm. time I went in knowing that it was going to be fundamentally weird, very different. It's just Hideaki Anno going, eh, whatever. I'm just going to go full Ghibli. I'm going to put a little (laughs) Nausicaa Valley of the Wind in here, put a little Nadia Secret of Blue Water in here Mm -hmm. and bada bing. I've got a absolutely crazy anime movie, but uh, and I, what was really remarkable was how much I did not remember from movie three. I think I must have fallen asleep or something the first mm-hmm. time I watched mm-hmm. it. Because the only things I remembered were the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, the bits where he was playing uh, the piano with Kaworu, yeah, and the end maybe. But I did not remember any of the anything that was go- any of the context mm-hmm. of what was happening with this movie or anything. So I was like, okay, I know a lot more about Evangelion now. I did a ton of research. I listened to a five-hour podcast from uh, Talking Simpsons about the end of Evangelion. It was insane. So Mm -hmm. now I know a ton about this series and all of the theories around it. And I still came out of movie three going, I don't know really what was going on. I only have the vaguest sense of what's going on with this movie. But um, okay, so this is what I'm going to say about movie three. The thing I don't like about movie three is that in the original Evangelion series, the characters, yes, they are anime characters, but they're still relatively grounded. And I think there's an appeal in having these sort of grounded characters reacting to extraordinary, insane, crazy, mind-breaking events. Mm. Whereas in Evangelion 3.33, all of the characters, Misato, Ritsuko, Gendo, Yutsuki, Asuka, um, that one girl who hangs out with Asuka, who's the new girl, and I don't like her. Uh, even Shinji, they're all full-blown, crazy pants, Garen Lagans <laughs> level anime characters. Well, they just they'd just been through the rapture. Like they had gone through <laughs> I know. like I the, get it. I think so so I, I forget the last time we talked. Have you seen Thrice Upon a Time yet? I have not, so please do okay. not spoil it for me. No, all I'm going to say is everything you are saying here right now, I think three for me made way more sense and contextualized so much more better within the series once I'd watched Thrice Upon a Time. And okay, so, so I watched it with a friend who did not know Evangelion very well, mm-hmm. and she was kind of with me. She was like, movie one, eh, movie two. She was like, I really liked movie two. Movie three, she was like, I have no idea what the heck was going on. Mm -hmm. I get the sense that movie four is going to explain, it's going to contextualize a lot because movie three left huge knowledge gaps Mm -hmm. about what exactly happened in the intervening 14 years between movie two and movie three. So Mm -hmm. I guess we will see, but I don't know. 
movie three, I liked it better this time around. I was thinking of the of the Simpsons, uh, where maybe Chief Wiggum's going, but now we like movie three. You know, <laughs> as Marsh is driving the bulldozer up to movie three. But the, uh, I'm, not that, I'm not that far. I, I'm not that far along um, movie mm-hmm. three. I, I still prefer the original series story. I think it's a much better story ultimately. But that's also I haven't watched the full full rebirth yeah. arc yet. So I, I so without spoilers, what I will say is a the one thing I really liked about three, especially in retrospect, and I was talking to uh, my Normandy FM uh, co-host Kenneth Shepard about this because he recently watched all of Ava, like all the way through for the first time, uh, which is an experience because he did it in like he watched the TV series over about like two weeks and then watched all the movies in a single weekend. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he was like, that was an experience. But um, three, I don't think I had realized how little Kauru is in the TV series. One episode. He, he's one episode. One episode. And he's such a major character when you think about Ava as a whole. But having the movie in three give Shinji and, and Kaoru like a little bit of time to just kind of hang out and get to know each other and develop that setup. So that way, when the thing that happens at the end of three happens, it hits and you will okay, see that things. carry over into thrice upon a time. Two things. First of all, even though it was only one episode in the original show that Kaoru shows up it was a banger it's of an actually, episode it's actually kind of shocking mm-hmm. how well they managed to introduce him get him into a relationship with shinji mm-hmm. get you to care about this character and then settle everything and make it feel like super impactful mm-hmm. at the end of that episode it's all done in like 23 minutes it's amazing what they're able to do with that i cannot believe it should it have been like at least a two episode probably a three episode arc Absolutely. They needed to mm-hmm. introduce him way earlier. And a lot of that was a function of how poorly planned Evangelion was. They were just riding by the seat of their pants at all times. Now, I don't necessarily think that 3.33 handles Kodu that be- much better than the original show. We only get a few really meaningful scenes with Shinji and Kodu. I would say that it's about the same amount of development that we get in the episode, only slightly elongated. And then, you know, they're still cramming a ton of character development and a ton of story into maybe a 30 minute period because mm-hmm. a lot of the movie is set up and then action sequences. Yeah. And, and the structure of the movie is definitely strange going back to it. Um, but again, like this is I would a character, say all the heavy lifting is them playing piano. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like that's, I kind of like Which is that. a beautiful scene, by the way. Yeah. I love the piano oh my God. scene. They use the yeah. budget this time. They had, oh, the yeah, budget they this went time. for it. It was great. Uh, but again, this is a character when you look at how much screen time Oscar Ray and Shinji get throughout the series compared to the fourth child, like this is, or I guess the fifth child or whatever. Um, it's, it's nice that he gets to shine a little bit more. And I think by the time you get to thrice upon a time, it's going to help a little bit with what Shinji's arc is in that movie. I will also say that, it's important to not just view the rebuilds as a retelling of Evangelion, but also very much like a story within the continuity of all of Evangelion. Like Hideaki Anno is metatextual as hell. Like this dude 
Sure. End of Ava has an entire section where he's just like, y'all sent me death threats over that TV or C- <laughs> that was messed up. Are y'all he points cool the that? camera at the audience in the movie theater is like, look at you losers. <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't think it would surprise you to hear that. Like yeah. he, he gets back to that a little bit with thrice upon a time. Cause it's, it's called that. Cause this is his third time trying to yeah, end the this manga, series. the show. And then this, well, the, right? the show end of Ava and oh, okay. uh, this, I, the manga I've never understood where it canon. stands. Is it Canon? I think you said all Evangelion media is Canon. So yeah. think about that. That's a thrice Sorted upon out. a time thing. You will learn about that in thrice upon a time. I, but look that upon, does, I look forward to it. That does click. It gets a little kingdom hearts. I'm just, yeah, oh, it gets no. a little kingdom hearts, but in a good way. And where kingdom hearts fell, that's where Hideak, there Hideaki is no, learned there is no, it gets kingdom hearts, but in a, good way i'm sorry final fantasy 7 remake got kingdom hearts in a bad way well that's because so, they had dementors you don't oh go dementors <laughs> anyway so i will be watching thrice upon a time this coming oh, week I'm so and excited. i will share my thoughts next week and i look forward to doing that okay let's get to the news there are a couple of big releases well relatively big release one was huge that was new world it is the new action mmo rpg Thing. It was this giant melange of elements that Amazon has been working on since freaking forever. And against all odds, it is like a mega hit. People, the server queues are 2,000 people deep. People seem to be really into it. I don't know. My mind is utterly blown that people love this game that much because, frankly, I don't really see what the excitement is around this game. It looks very dated. Uh, the it is very how should I say it's very unforgiving in the way uh, it handles traversal for example uh, fast travel is just such an enormous mm. pain in the butt that people are literally killing themselves in the game to be able to get anywhere <laughs> it's just unforgiving <laughs> as hell and it's very grindy but people are like I love this game we're gonna go crazy on it and I don't know so Nadia I know you're not gonna play this game Eric are you gonna play this game no, I'm not an MMO person to start with. And if I was, I feel like I've already promised too many people it would be Final Fantasy 14 that I'd finally get into. Yes. But this seems this seems like a game people are playing because they either want a new game to play right now. Morbid or, curiosity, too. Because we get one of these every couple months. Yeah. And, and like, look, I loved Knockout City, but Knockout City kind of came and went. And I would love for it to come back because that was actually a very good game. But uh, New World kind of just feels like the new version of that. And and I'm not an MMO person, so I'm not the person to understand any of the appeal of this game. But I just see a lot of people kind of getting excited for it. But in a way that I'm like, y'all are going to be playing Endwalker in however many weeks. (laughs) I did canvas people on Twitter. This is what they were kind of saying. They were... There's an appetite they're saying for a new Western MMORPG. So you could say that, that New sense. World is a reaction to World of Warcraft, where people want a hard fantasy MMORPG that is not named Elder Scrolls Online, right? That's fair. That's fair. So that yeah. is the yeah. thing. That makes sense to me. They're yeah. like, we don't want anime. We already have Genshin Impact. We already have Final Fantasy 14. Heck, even World of Warcraft kind of went anime at the end of the day. No more cat boys. Interesting embrace anime. Okay. hard fantasy and that's what we hard fantasy imperialism that's what we got with new world it's kind of awkward <laughs> I, i'm not going to judge the themes until i actually 
see them or play them for myself because a lot can be lo- and lost in context, but I don't know if it's good. I am not approaching it saying, this is a good idea. It also has large-scale factional combat, so you can start a guild and start taking over parts of the map. And so in that, it might be tapping into the EVE Online Mm -hmm. kind of vein. Ah. And it's very PvP-oriented, so you can get into wars with people. You can be just walking along in the map, and then somebody comes and kills you. It's kind of tapping into a thing that a lot of MMORPGs have generally avoided. Yes, you can turn off the PvP flag, but people are into the notion of danger when they're out grinding. Yeah. Now, it, the game itself is a giant pain in the butt to play, as mm-hmm. far as I've been able to see. But as World of Warcraft classics showed, some people have an appetite for that for some they reason. They really do. I think there's always going to be an appetite for that unforgiving MMO experience from the real olden days, because mm-hmm. you're certainly not going to get that with Final Fantasy XIV and WoW is a lot tamer than it used yes. to be unless you're playing the vanilla version. It is trying to walk the line between the theme park MMO and the big sandbox MMO. Exactly. Jury's out on whether it's actually successful, but it seems to be tapping in. I think it might actually last longer than we think, but we'll see. I wonder if it's like a Guild Wars 2 thing, like if it's going to mm. hit that same segment, because <laughs> that's from what, what you've been describing, the PvP focus, especially the faction focus. That reminds me of Guild Wars 2, which... yeah was the one MMO I have ever spent any amount of time playing. So <laughs> anyway, New World, it's so big. Uh, we'll see if it ends up cooling off. I don't think we're going to talk about it much on this podcast because I have no interest in playing it. And it's not really a thing for our audience, but well, people are playing it. It is. <laughs> and it's technically within our wheelhouse. Anyway, we will keep an eye on it. The other game that's out is Astria Ascending. This one might be of interest of to our community. I want to give this game uh, some more time. I got a Nintendo Switch code. Uh, Nojima ended up writing this one. So it has some Final Fantasy alums attached. It has some beautiful art. Uh, It has kind of an Octopath Traveler slash Shin Megami Tensei style battle systems, kind of a melange of different elements. You have different character classes. You have characters who are cursed by fate. Um, But mostly it's just really pretty. So... Mm. Uh, it's been getting middling reviews overall, a lot of sixes oh, and sevens, sadly. But then again, maybe this isn't the game for mainstream reviewers. Yeah, yeah. There, there's games like that. Like, just going off topic for one second, I just reviewed Jet. And that was a wild, wild game. Like, it's 10 hours long, which is fine. I think we all need to kind of cool down a bit on the 80-hour stuff. And it's just a, a bit of a, a mind screw. I really mm. enjoyed it. All right, let's get to the news. Uh, Let's say top story this week. Sony bought Bluepoint, as we've been kind of waiting for them to do. This is relevant to our RPG interests because they remade Demon's Souls. And Mm -hmm. it was a very good remake, ultimately. And Demon's Souls ended up selling more than 1 million copies, 1.4 million as of September 19th. Pretty modest success, all things considered. Sold much worse than Miles Morales, for example, because Demon's Souls, it's... Reputation for difficulty kind of precedes it. Mm-hmm. Blue Point uh, is also working on a new game, a new project. Let us hope it is an RPG as God intended. <laughs> I'll be honest. I the thought that Sony. Intended. I thought that Sony already owned Blue Point. There was a lot of that going around where people yeah. were like, "This yeah. didn't happen." Very Mandela effect stuff. I I refer well, to it's it like as Insomniac. Yeah, 
Yeah, Sony's been putting a lot of rings on fingers that they should have put rings on a long time ago mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. with like Insomniac, with Bluepoint, House with Mark. House Mark, yeah. yeah. Um, and then some of their other acquisitions are just kind of them being very transparent about what they're trying to beef up, like purchasing Nixess, who who did a lot of PC ports and stuff like that. They're just going like, well, people are buying studios right now because it's a good time to be buying yeah, studios. So it's the fad. Mm-hmm. Consolidation. Don't you love it? Inflation. (laughs) (laughs) In the meantime, Tokyo Game Show is happening. And yes, we're finally getting that Monster Hunter Rise PC port that we were promised. It looks very good. I will not play it unless it has cross save because I've put Mm. like 150 hours to 200 hours into the Switch version of this game. And I am not going through that grind again. Does the PC ports of Monster Hunter usually have the uh, cross save? It did not with Iceborne. Ouch. Yeah, yeah it was brutal. A, it's a big owie. Now, Switch had cross-save. Just give me cross-progression, okay? I don't... I mean, we saw that it was able to be done with Hades. Yeah. It is possible, so make it happen, Capcom. Come on. Mm-hmm. I know it's a pain in the ass to do, but when you have a game where you spend so much time building your character up, starting over again is not really that appealing. It's a non-starter for me. I'm not going to do it. I exactly. Have, mm. uh, life is too short. You got to play football manager or whatever you're playing. No, exactly. I got, got a lot of time to put into football manager. Look, I just won uh, five or six trophies in one season. Take that. Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. West Ham dominating the league. Anyway. Did they tell you that they love you at the end of the night? They did, actually. I've had my players <laughs> tell me how much they love me. That's actually pretty cool. I did not expect like, that. It says, it's like, uh, Latoro Martinez got up and told the press that all of his progression is down to manager cat bailey who he loves very much and thinks is wonderful he owes his career to cat i'm like oh my god <laughs> they love me if we can find a way to get some like anime jpegs into this game <laughs> we're gonna get cat for so much money <laughs> there's a moment where the board comes out and says cat you're so great we're gonna start we're opening a new stadium and you get to name it and i'm like Wow. Wow. Butthole Stadium right here. Bofa you can Stadium. Name it that. You can name it anything you want. The Link game's not going to stop you. <laughs> <laughs> I Seriously, though, all they have to do is periodically tell you how great you are, and they got me, you know? So mm-hmm. that's, how, that's how the original Fire Emblem got me on Game Boy Advance, was Lynn told me, Wow, Kat, you're a great companion. You're obviously very good at this game. And I was like, wow, Lynn, you're my best bud. <laughs> very easy to get. <laughs> Lynn is pretty cool to have a friend. So the game just tells me over and over again how amazing I am. I'm going to give it game of the year. It's just how it is. You heard it here, developers. This is how you get Cat to appreciate you. Again, with Pokemon, when I was playing the original Pokemon Red, they said, I said the moment I got into Pokemon was when they said, it seems like your Charmander really likes you. Ah, Charmander. And that just immediately connected me to Charmander. I was like, we're best buds on the road now. Hooray, Charmander. <laughs> what about school? What about parents? Who cares? We're on the road. <laughs> on the road. Square Enix showed off a few tidbits. And as of the recording of this podcast, which is a Friday, Stranger of Paradise is back in the meme, folks. Our pal, Jack Garland. What a name. He. Great. <laughs> everybody was passing around the clip of him hearing about uh, the force of chaos and everything, and then going, that's BS. And then turning on his phone, 
And a lot of people were saying that it was Limp Biscuit or Linkin Park. I thought it was Linkin Park. And he, he yeah. just says, he doesn't even say that's BS. He just looks. It's just like generic bullshit. music from Square yeah. Enix, right? Yeah, it's just some some butt rock that they made in-house. I wouldn't be surprised if somehow they got like Daisuke Ishwatari from, from Arc System Works to like come over and just tear some perfect. riffs. Like, I was hoping that it was actually Linkin Park because Linkin Park's big, they're big in anime. They did the uh, the Gundam theme and everything. for did they Gundam really? For huge Gundam fans at Linkin Park. That's a amazing that's great that's good trivia uh yeah i might have edited this video to make it play wonderwall because i have (laughs) brain worms but just him saying bullshit and then putting music on and no headphones just music blaring out of of those assholes who plays it on the bus out loud on the speaker that you want to punch in the face he's one of those people that is that is character building if i have ever seen it they they did so much to tell me who this man is in so few words it's beautiful it is pretty perfect i'm convinced this game is a shit post the whole thing is, is a shit post oh, yeah. it's going to be great huge Someone said that it's basically Kingdom Hearts, but self-aware, which is all I want out of a Final Fantasy game. Yeah, I'm way more into it now than I was like a, a month ago. Like I played the first demo and I actually liked it very much. So second demo is be much better than the first, apparently. Yeah, because thankfully we talked about this last time. Square is pretty good about taking feedback mm. and doing mm. things with it. So oh, really? Good. Are Sometimes. you sure? <laughs> On occasion, <laughs> I think that Strangers in Paradise. I initially like. Didn't like the concept of having these weird emo characters in this game. I wanted something that was more faithful to Final Fantasy. Clearly, I'm an idiot, and Square should not listen to me. They have turned <laughs> this game into a meme. I think it's going to do so much better just mm-hmm. by the meme factor alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. People yeah. are going to buy it. I memes are what sell games. That's what that's what sold Untitled Goose Game. L- like if you can turn Resident it into Evil a Village. GIF or a meme. You're you're golden, and mm-hmm. Stranger of Paradise already has tons of it. It's going to do really well. It's going to be a lot of fun. The, so much better than if they fun. had just done Final Fantasy One again. Come on. So well played, Square Enix. Well played. <laughs> uh, Hiroyuki Ito, the maker of the Active Time Battle System, and actually probably the force behind, I would argue, behind what made Final Fantasy uh, Six and a lot of those other games yeah. good, mm-hmm. has a new game coming on October fourteenth. It's called Dungeon Encounters. It's a grid-based RPG in the most direct sense possible. If you're the kind of person who loves to count tiles to trigger or avoid random encounters, like me, this game is going to be cocaine, according to Nadia, who Mm -hmm. wrote this in the notes. It's exactly the kind of game I'd expect from Ito. Yes, Ito loves his battle system. It's all numbers. I looked at the trailer and there's nothing but numbers. It's a game for the sickos. It's a game Uh, for the freaks who need that, (laughs) that good. Like, that's... I, I looked in the comments, so I was curious. I went to the YouTube comments and the Reddit comments on this, and there were people in there going like, I don't get because it's very minimalistic, like it, Extremely. it is like a piece of paper with grid tiles on it that you are moving your character around on. And the battle system screen is incredibly sparse, but you just you get the whiff of systems, you get the whiff of oh, numbers, yeah. you get all that good stuff. And I, I described it, I wrote about it uh, for for a news post today for Destructoid. And I basically said, if you told me this game was a re-release of some cult hit on the PlayStation Vita, <laughs> I'd believe you. I'd believe it. No, yeah. no questions asked. And like, that's 
this is a game for people they will see this and they will either be like i don't get it it's just it's it's so dumb they did they not have a budget and then other people will be like this is that good stuff there's going to be a <laughs> subset of rpg fans who are going to lose their mind and yeah gonna be, like dedicated to this for the rest of the year and Square's been on one with some weird games because this is the second October shadow, not like shadow drop, but like we had this come out of nowhere and we had Voice of Cards with Yoko Taro. Yeah, it's going to be so great. And that one, that demo is real good. That's a real good oh, demo. Oh, I haven't played that demo yet. I need to play that, but I'm really looking forward to that because Yoko Taro card games, what more do you need? It's 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 a good time. I enjoyed it to the point that I'm like now really looking forward to it. And I think I took your deck and I peed on it. Now work with it. What are you going to do now? <laughs> There's like this big muscly sailor dude in like the most revealing kind outfit that's just like I was going to take this boat across the the river, but there's ghosts in it, so I'm afraid of ghosts. And I'm like, this dude rules. <laughs> like, it's it is so like Yoko Taro, but the idea of everything being cards actually works out in a really interesting way. And it's way more of an RPG. I think people might have been scared it was like a Slay the Spire, and it's way more like standard RPG. You That's have a good. party, you are going to towns, you are going on adventures and dungeons, and Square's just been on one with these weird games that they're just dropping in October. Like, hey, guess what? Here's some weird stuff we came up with. Check it out. And I'm I'm all for it. This I'm is great. It, yeah. I'm here for it. Nothing wrong yeah, with give that. Me very, give me that variety. You know what? You took Final <laughs> Fantasy 1 and made it into something, a meme shit post. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm down with that. Weird Square Enix. It's, it's the time. It really is. Speaking of weird Square Enix, Triangle Strategy has a new trailer. I don't think they're actually being made by Square Enix, but I am thinking about Final Fantasy Tactics in that case, which was kind of the definition of weird Square Enix back in the day. And a March 4th release date. Very excited about this. Notice Project is gone from the title. It's now just called Triangle Strategy, which is a name, but that's like calling it Octopath Traveler. I don't think that's going to hurt its prospects. It is an absolutely gorgeous isometric tactics rpg and i am all in on this game mm-hmm. i just think it's hilarious because they always give us those weird ass names but project in front of it and say yeah. no no it's just temporary and then the project is gone and the project is gone back. it's trying no actually it was actually just triangle strategy it was this all, all along. along and the weird yep. part is i like the project part like i don't mm, know if i would yeah, have liked it like on it. octopath traveler but i think project triangle strategy that sounds like an Alan Parsons project cover band that I would <laughs> see at some dive bar in Oklahoma, and yeah. I dig it. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And Aiden Chronicle has a new trailer, and can we talk about how one of the main characters is a kangaroo? This game needed to be out yesterday, but it's not coming out until spring. But honestly, spring, okay. Spring between Aiden Chronicle and Triangle Strategy and Starfield and Elden Ring. Oh my God, 2022. Behave. Calm down. Which one of the Aiden Chronicle games is this? Is this the the action? Like I think they this have is the action one. one. This oh, isn't the, the actual one. game. Yeah, this isn't yeah. the the Suikoden. I don't one. care. Give it me. It still right, looks pretty right. awesome, and it, it looks great. I just love how Suikoden, the way they do their kind of beast characters. Their kobolds are my favorite character. Are my favorite kobolds in any any RPG representation. They're literally dogs. Just and their battle their battle cry is barking. I mean, bark bark. <laughs> Bark, bark, bark. And you have a general in Suikoden 2 who's Ridley, I think his name is. And he's just a mastiff. He's a guy with a mastiff head. It's perfect. And then he, if he dies, spoilers, he's replaced by his son, who's a Borzoi. <laughs> so great. <laughs> I love these, these characters. 
Okay, that is it for the news. Time to move on to our review of Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous with Jason Wilson. Don't go away. Bullshit. All right, for the second week in a row, we're here with our good pal Jason Wilson, writer and RPG expert at large. Hi, Jason. Hi, Kat. Hi, Eric. Hi, Nadia. Thank you for bringing me along. Yeah, this has been a real PC RPG kind of experience for us lately. But this week, as Good. promised, we are going to be reviewing Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous, the hardcore CRPG, very classic, determined to be just, you know, basically Baldur's Gate. Though, of course, I'm sure Jason can tell us all about how the general rule set is much different from Dungeons oh, and Dragons. Boy. Well, oh, boy. We're getting into thing. the weeds. <laughs> okay, so let's first start here. So... So Pathfinder is a game that comes from a split from D&D 3.5 and 3.0. So back in those days of that era of Dungeons and Dragons, it put out the D20 system and anyone could use those rule sets to make their own games. And a lot of people yeah. made some really cool games. And then Peso, which was, you know, actually the folks who did Dragon Magazine for so long, decided, let's do our own after... Um, long deliberations and so what they got was pathfinder and then pathfinder didn't make any video games for a long long time even though it thrived as an rpg system and so what we got was kingmaker and then he had an adaptation of a pathfinder board game and then now wrath of the righteous kingmaker and wrath of the righteous are both um adaptations of existing story paths in pathfinder so they're like adventure paths that you play and alcat games in russia is the studio that made this and they are very passionate cat have you ever spoken with them no or i Eric? have not met owl cat mm-hmm. games i like the name that's a good name i uh, Ooh, i was associating yeah. them with an indie developer who worked on a game for a long time and i don't know why yeah so i've talked with them many times over the years and they are so passionate about what they're doing and it, it, it's always fun to talk to them because you're you're talking to Russians. So so they're very passionate about this. And, uh, you know, RPG history is very different in Eastern Europe than it is in sure. the yeah. West. And um, other games that they played, you know, some of them played Dungeons and Dragons and others played um, other games. So this is their second game. And it's pretty good. It's really good. I gave it a four. Four you out know, of five. On, four out of five. That's a good our, comfortable. If you go to old comfortable um, four. We don't have... We don't have any half steps. Um, I can't give it, I couldn't give it a full five because it had two f- major flaws, which we'll get into talking about. So who, the big. Uh, who did you review it for? Sorry, when you oh, say we. For Game Speed before I left. It was the final oh. thing I did. In fact, the last thing I, I did at our CMS was to flip the switch from review in progress to review and slap a score on it. Nice. <laughs> nice. I like that. Yeah. That's an exit to be proud of. Oh, that is an exit. Um, So it takes place in the world of Galarin, just like the first game, Kingmaker. And this is a world of, you know, monsters and magic and many different realms that are all competing one way or another. But in the middle of this world is this big, fat, festering place called the World Wound. And the World Wound is a portal to the abyss. And because this is all still based on D&D, the abyss is the bad, evil place of demons, just like it is in D&D. 
I know it from Dragonlance. <laughs> <laughs> I know it Good. very well from Dragonlance. So, so in this game, you are leading the crusade against the demons, and you're pushing them out gradually and gradually and gradually. And as you're going through the game, um, you learn about your own story. You learn about the stories of your companions, just like you would in many games like this, and the story of the world and different realms that are also going to be working with you or against you, depending on the paths you take. And uh, it, it has a very deep narrative with lots of really important choices and lots of choices that really affect the story. Um, this is the first time I've ever killed companions in a RPG. Oh no! Really? Did you old yeller them? Were they ra- were they rabid? No, they weren't <laughs> rabid. Well, okay, one was I wouldn't say rabid, but she was crazy. Okay, um, <laughs> she kept she she kept picking fights. She was someone I really liked, and there's somebody you pick up at the beginning of the game, uh, Wendelad, who is a mongrel person. Um, they use mongrel man, but that's the old third edition language for it and really should call a mongrel folk but are we yeah. still allowed to say mongrel is this a term that's still okay yes yeah because they're mutants i see she jason like, checked for us mongrel yeah. is still okay yeah and she, she's blue and she has spider legs coming out of her back ew and oh that's ew. awesome yeah and every mongrel's mutations are different so the game starts off in a very spectacular way you're in this city called canabre and it's having a festival. It's having a party. And then the big bad demon Daskari shows up. Daskari is a locust demon. And he jumps over this building. He gets into the fight with the protector of the city, which is a silver dragon. And uses cool. his great big scythe and cuts off her head. Oh no, dragon. And then you're sitting there and you have nothing but a crossbow. And you take a pot shot at her. At the demon. And he looks at you and says, yeah, you're a pest. And rips open a great gorge to the ground and you fall down and that begins your event. So this has everything you would expect from a, oh, we need a proper name for these kind of games. I don't want to call it Baldur's Gate likes, but everything you would expect <laughs> from not, not How about CRPGs? Baldur's Gate ripoff? Is that better? No. No, that's extremely mean. I know. That's extremely mean. I know, but it's kind of like Pillars of Eternity, right? It's its own thing. Yeah. Or Divinity. But it's very much in that vein, and it's designed to appeal to that audience. Mm -hmm. Which is fine. Well, really, what it's appealing to are the people who really love the gold box games. There you go. That's uh, that's your bread and butter. More than anything, because you have more decisions and choices than you did in Ultima 2 as well, because you had a lot of important decisions and choices there. And one other thing, so there's two things that they added with this game. One I really like and one I hate, which is why <laughs> I gave it a four. The one I like is the Mythic Paths. As you get a growing power, and as you get deeper into the story, you're a chosen one of some power. And you can become more angelic. You can become more demonic. You could become kind of in the middle, or you could become a lich. Ooh, oh, this place. So, the, the third option of the fable dichotomy yeah. to come up so, with. <laughs> in my first run, I did it as an angel. In my second run, which I'm playing right now, I'm a lich. How many hours are you putting into this game? 120 so far. Wow. Yeah. Okay. How, how long is a single run? First run took me skipping a lot of things because it was doing it for review. So I didn't do all the side quests. It took me 60. 
60 hours. Okay, yeah. wow. I mean, you, you must really love this game if you are just cranking oh, through I like do. multiple times. I do. So here, here's some of the things that are really appealing about it. First of all, because it's built on Pathfinder, it's got 27 different classes and subclasses that you start out with. You have fighters and all kinds of different fighters. They added the Cavalier. You could adventure with a dinosaur as your companion. Nice. I like it. There we go. Yes. There's Nadia's companion <laughs> right there. Yeah. What, yeah. what kind of dinosaur? Can you choose it? or It's a raptor. That's, that's okay. Yeah, I can deal yeah. with that. But, but, you know, I haven't played it live, but back in the earlier beta build, you couldn't write it. Ah. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. And you couldn't write the mammoth either, which was really weird because... It's a mammoth. But um but what I want to know is what is Nadia's ideal dinosaur companion? Uh probably something along the lines of a Deinonychus, a smart one, uh, with a lot with a really nice feather coat. Really pretty. I would have picked you I would have picked you for a medium sized triceratops. Really? Yeah, I was thinking Stegosaurus, oh. Brontosaurus. Sarah from uh, Land Before Time. Yeah, yeah. I have nothing against Triceratops, not at all. Those movies are but so, so. Have we had so an RPG horrible. where we can ride a T Rex yet? Because that seems like a real missed opportunity at this point. We've read, we've ridden dragons, but I want to ride a T Rex. It's a mountain Final Fantasy fourteen. I don't have it. Oh, there you yeah. go. Oh, yeah. Finally. Okay. As usual, so, Final Fantasy fourteen is ahead <laughs> of the curve. <laughs> yeah. So you've got Inquisitors. You've got your normal wizards. You've got your scroll wizards. I mean, there's there's too many for me to talk about. So right there at the beginning of the game, you're, you're faced with this big choice. What I love about this is that Alcat has put in a lot of tutorials. Between the tutorials and the massive amount of guides on Pathfinder, the um, TTRPG guides will work just fine for helping you decide classes if you wish. You can figure out what you want, but you know you can spend an hour or two deciding on what kind of character you want to make. And that's pretty cool. And there's a lot of like different races. Jam. Yeah. And there's Kinda. a lot of different, there's a lot of different races to choose from. And this time they included, um, Dalpiers, which are, you know, half human. Oh, half hell vampires. yeah. Alucard. Okay. Yeah. Ketsudis, which are Fox people. Oh, now I'm, now I'm split. Damn it. Yeah. I know that the furry angle, I know it, it got you. <laughs> do, they, <laughs> do they have cat boys and cat girls? Are no, we, are we no Final cat. Fantasy fourteen in here? Okay. No, 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 it's too Japanese. Mm. No, no, they don't have that. But I want to rewind to your earlier point, Nadia. Sorry, Jason. I Actually, a really in-depth character creator, I do like that. But I, am, I find more pleasure in team building. Ah, like, okay, I want then. to build a character who kind of looks like me and is like relatively functional and everything. But then I want to spend time recruiting cool people into my party. Well, you've got that. This is what's really great about this is you, you've got some really I like some of the characters. And if you don't like their basic builds, you can always get a respect into something you like better. For example, one of the characters, Camellia, is a soul shaman. So this lets her do a little bit of fighting, a little bit of magic, and a little bit of thieving, trickery, and stuff. Um, she looks like she she looks like a pampered princess, uh, but she has a very dark secret. Ooh! And which you explore later in the game. She is actually a pretty cool companion and kind of necessary if you don't make a thief because I lost my thief in the second act. And what happened? I, I mean, did you? How, how do you lose a thief? Did you go in a dungeon? She got lost. No, no. Um, something happens and it tears your 
party asunder and you get kind of swept all over the place. And some characters were lost and some characters stayed with you. And supposedly you find them again, though. I haven't. I never found them. Oh, no. So sad. But now I'm doing the side quest, so maybe I will. Reminds um, me of when I lost dog meat in Fallout New Vegas. Yeah. Oh. Like, <laughs> the little dog oh, meat, well. where are you? I spent hundreds of hours trying to get dog meat back. And finally, I built the house, the dog house, mm-hmm. and poof, dog meat was summoned. So what you need Yay. to do is build a thief house. Get your thief back. Apparently, a tightly thief, thief house. Exactly. Tieflings yeah. are, are demon people, for those of you who don't know. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. So, you know, I, I know I'm going all over the place with it, but there's so much to talk about in this big game. game. It's mm. a big game. Uh, your companions, you know, you get a paladin, you get a hell knight who is a gnome, which is very funny in itself. That's actually you hilarious. Don't, you don't you don't expect evil gnomes. Um, no. Though Alcat has shown it has a perchance for evil gnomes. Uh, you get you you get a a scientist slash mage who is totally lost in everything pertaining to your research. She she's so much into her research that she wants you to teach her how to get drunk at one point. She's never <laughs> I like had this boots. mage scientist. Oh. She's my yeah. new favorite character. Nidio. She's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you get this elf girl, Ember, who's this weird witch, not like an evil witch. She, she's good to everybody. She 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 tries, she tries to, you know, preach to the demons about how they can abandoned their evil ways you do and try still to alive play. yes yes <laughs> yes but there's a side quest that actually shows the you know why she should have been doing that oh i don't know about this jesus character uh. <laughs> but an important question jason can yes. i date the cute kind of spacey mage scientist can i date her i think so um, okay so yes, there is a lot of um, queer representation, all but right. so far I've noticed it's all on the female side and not on the male side. Oh, interesting. So I, I don't know if that is because of the proclivities you get from a Russian studio or not. So this game's a good ten years behind current trends in terms of queer romance, or just, or just you know the way my playthrough has gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I, I so I was playing. I was playing a um, a woman dead here on my necromancer run, who's turning into a lich. And the one I killed earlier actually became my lover first. And because she was being such a pain in the ass, I just had to kill her. <laughs> what? You ever hear the Guns N' Roses Jason, song? I used to love her, but I had to kill her. Stop killing people. <laughs> I used to love her, but I had There's to kill her. There's another person you you have to kill too, because he becomes a mer- he's a mercenary who joins your party for a quest about a dragon. And then he says, okay, well, you know, I'm going to take another contract unless you pay me money to stay. And I didn't have enough money. Uh. So he took another contract. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> <laughs> it was me, Austin. It was me all along. So so I had to kill him. So <laughs> two party members. I've never had to kill two party members before. Uh, I wouldn't. I, if I were in this magical world, I think I would steer clear of your adventure recruitments. Just no offense, Jason. I, I wouldn't answer your oh notices. Oh God! Here comes Jason. He's oh going to recruit he me into his party. Don't do it. Oh, and then one of the best parts of, of taking the lich path is you'll find these important characters. Some you have to kill. Others you end up eating their soul and making them your servants. Wow. Jeez. I really wouldn't take it being a party with you. Yeah. So the first one is this 
tragic dwarf who is known in the world for betraying the forces of good and serving out his penance. He's trying to, you know, prove that, oh, you know, I made a mistake falling for this demon. A storyline comes about and he gets tired of being treated like dirt for for his sins, which, you know, you're a dwarf and you get, for, you know, you have to deal with 90 years of that. I, I, I guess that could hurt you. I'd be a little upset being treated yeah. like dirt for 90 years. Yeah. yeah so he turns bad. on you. He turns on you and you kill him. But then. Another the, person dying. Here we go again. You get the option. You get the option to keep his body in the dungeon. And I said, ooh, let's do that. I have a, hot, a quote from Hot Fuzz for uh, Jason Wilson. Ooh, murder, murder, murder. Change yeah. the effing record. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, I killed him as an enemy, though. Oh, okay. Anyway, I murdered him. <laughs> that was just a solution to everything, Jason. Yeah, I, I know. I'm turning into Frank here. Bang, bang. <laughs> but um, so as you're going through the ledge path, you're able to slowly build your own party of undead warriors to join you. Skeleton warriors. So you're, you're like Arthas in Warcraft. Like you're basically just killing a bunch of people and then turning them to your side throughout the whole campaign. Kinda, kinda. Okay, kinda. I'm getting sold on this. I'm getting sold yeah. on it. Jason, is, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say, what does good look like in this game? Because so far, all I've heard is just unending horror and atrocities being so committed. What good looks like is defeating the demons. Uh huh. Um. Sparing the sword when you come up to criminals and saving them and then turning them to your side. With, without it, making them dead first. No, without making them dead first. Oh, okay. Um, you know, having pity for other people and finding ways to, you know, save as many folks from the demonic cords as you can while at the same time preserving your own soul. That's what the good one looks like. Um, I don't find it as interesting, but others might. Yeah, that was going to be my follow up was like, does it feel like this game wants you to be good or does it want you to be bad? Because, I mean, there are definitely games where in Mass Effect, I feel like you're rewarded for being good. It, and it wants you to make decisions. Ah, OK. And it gives you a path if you make good decisions and it gives you a path if you make evil decisions and it gives you a path if you make neutral decisions. One of the way thick paths is neutral. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you can either go out, you know, Oh, I'm going to be somebody who is a crusader against, against the sword of evil. You could be someone's like, okay, I'm going to try to find the balance here in this world and tip the balance of power to where good is there with evil, but, evil doesn't have the sway over this part of the world that it has now. Or you could be evil and say, okay, well, I'm going to kick the demons out because I want to. And either because I, you know, I want to set up my own rule being a lich or being a demon and using the demonic power to take over. That's, that's interesting. Like I, I find, yeah, I've been going back to some of these old, like CRPGs uh, recently, especially like I got back into Baldur's Gate. I know this is not, like I, I say old, but I said Baldur's Gate three, <laughs> but um, and it's it's interesting to see like comparing that even to stuff that I I came up with like Dragon Age Origins and stuff like that, um, and just seeing how that stuff has evolved and how a lot of this choice has become 
back into the like it's come back into the spotlight a lot um mm-hmm. i feel like choice i mentioned mass effect earlier and choice has become very like that was very paragon renegade whereas this sounds like it has a lot of branching paths a lot of different options yeah. a lot of ways to define your character and especially in terms of not just like am i blue shepherd or red shepherd but <laughs> what what do i believe and how does that ref- how is that reflected in the the party around me the companions around me the people around me yeah or or how do i want to play right and what's really great about this is it gives you several different paths and as you choose those paths the game narrative while you still are fighting the demons crafts itself around it in some quests and some things like for example as a lich you get a nation there's two nations of that have these you know undead followings in galarian and one is a nation of necromancers which uses the undead to control the realm the other is a nation of vampires and so they both send forces to come to help you and because there's so many necromancers in one place your undead servants go crazy and they riot because they're being influenced by so many different necromancers and so many different flavors of necromancy and you have to deal with that mm-hmm Different flavors of necromancy. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Regular, so, Code Red, Baja Blast, all the flavors of necromancy. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it, it's like, you, you know, it's like you got Bud Light, Miller Light, and they're fighting. <laughs> As <laughs> the they cross do. town Miller Light, Bud Light, yeah. necromancy so, fight. <laughs> there's a lot of things I really love. Here's what I hate. You have to manage the crusade at an army level. And it's boring. You don't get it. I don't feel like you get enough resources. I don't feel like the game is clear enough on how to get more resources for building your army. You have the kingdom building from Kingmaker, where once you take this one town called Dresden, this is the fortress, you build it up and improve it. And some areas around the area of Dresden that you build up and improve. And then you take your armies and you build them. You have to go fight other demon armies. And usually, it, it reminds me of the old Civ games, going up to Civ Four, where basically you have a big army and a stick. You know, you try to get that big stack as big as you can, so you can wipe wipe out everything. You could turn this part off and just play the story. And that's where the best parts of this game is. You could craft the controls and the difficulty to a level that you can't in Baldur's Gate three so far and of course the older games are pillars or divinity uh, you know you could play a story mode but you could go down so far as to say okay i want to play story mode but i want to have critical hits or you could say oh i want to play as hard as possible but i want to make all the enemies 0.4 weaker than they are with that mode and there's so many different ways to craft the difficulty to what you want that it, that that it, it's quite impressive and is this, it's real time with pause, but there's also turn-based in there's it? There's also turn-based, so you can okay. play either way. I play turn-based okay. exclusively, and I've only experienced one bug with that. And sometimes when you cast this one specific spell, which is a soul-sucking spell that hastes your party and slows the other bad guys, for some reason you can't, I'll get this bug where I can't cast other spells after that why that Mm. effect is still long. Mm. And every time you do, the game just like hiccups and it just, everything stops. And you have to go from real time back to turn-based to make it work. Mm. But then you can't cast spells until you do that. Then once you do that, you can cast spells normal again. And so Alcat had a bad history of bugs with Kingmaker. And they worked on that for two years after release to get rid of all the bugs. And 
they did a really good job on that. And Wrath of the Righteous launched without a lot of the bug problems that the first one have. It's using the same engine, so just improved. So that helps a lot. And they're using, you know, basically the almost bug-free build they got from Keymaker to make this. But there's still problems. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, Relatively large and complex game coming from, uh, I don't know how big Owl Cat Games is. Under 50. under yeah. 50 people. That's, uh, under that's 50 a lot. People. Under yeah. 50 people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, started, so you're going to get bugs. Yeah, they started, <laughs> they started with like eight guys. and That's wild. They've built up. Yeah, they've built up and they've built up. And it's still small, but, you know, it's a lot easier to make a game like this when you already have your existing tools to make it. Mm-hmm. So in all seriousness, my impression of Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous, and I did fire it up. I did play some of it. Did not spend that much time in the character maker because I, I think I used one of the pregens um, just because I wanted to get playing and I didn't want to have to fiddle with all of the options too much. My impression with this game is that this fills a particular niche that is not filled very well these days. And that's for hardcore, old school CRPG players. And yes. that... That niche was filled by previously Pillars of Eternity and games like that. But those game, but Obsidian is moving away from those kinds of games again and mm-hmm. instead focusing on games like, I don't know, games that would appeal to a mass audience, like yeah. Outer Worlds and games like that. So that has left a gap for uh, other studios to fill. And that is what Pathfinder is doing. Now, I don't think it's ever going to reach a mass audience, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, it's good to have this kind of game, ultimately. And Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, but the main appeal of this game, aside from being a hardcore old school RPG, is that it gives you tons of decisions to make and mm-hmm. options to fiddle with and a lot of kind of... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Agency over your world. Yes. So, you know, since 2012, you've been getting, you know, one or two of these every couple of years. You know, Pillars of Eternity, Divinity, Original Tyranny. 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 Um, Oh, really? You're a Tyranny fan? Because people were kind of like, I don't know about Tyranny. Oh, it's good. It's because, for one thing, it cut down the number of path, uh, sorry, party members that you could have. And the actual politicking in that game was pretty enjoyable, but a lot of people felt like it had good ideas, but didn't follow all the way through with them. It didn't follow all the way through, but the politicking is really good, and I really enjoy that. And then you had Torment, Tides of Numenera, and then you had Pillars of Eternity. Another half-baked game. Sorry, Torment. That one isn't quite as good. Uh, Divinity Original Sin 2, Wasteland 3. Divinity is interesting because it's, I think, maybe more streamlined and more mainstream. Than it any is. of the oh, games absolutely. that we've talked about. It's yeah. de- it's definitely, even though it came out on PC, it was kickstarted on PC, and it's made by a relatively hardcore studio in Larian. It almost feels like it was designed with a console audience in mind in some ways, being a such a co-op focused game and everything. It's funny because it wasn't. Mm-hmm. But, it, but they always had it in the back of their minds. And this is what's when uh, Zonsky, uh, the, 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 the CEO, Larianus, told me. Sven Vinky. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, great guy. Great interview. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, I love uh, every time seeing him. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anytime, you know, it was like, you know, it'd be great to be able to port these to consoles someday. And what they did, and this is what was so fantastic about the job they did moving it, is they preserved everything that made it Divinity on PC, the console, but also found a way to make it to where your friends can play with you. And in some ways, it makes it not only a different experience, but in some ways, a greater experience when you play that way. And then, you know, you go to Baldur's Gate 3, which is still, you know... Early access. Still in its first act, so... Yeah. The Baldur's Gate fans are very split on Baldur's Gate 3 at the I moment. love it, except oh, I don't want to mm. touch it until <laughs> more story comes out. When I say split, what I mean is there's a non-insignificant faction where, like, Larian came in and divinityed it. That's what and they did. The, those people are early. silly. Those They're people silly. are silly oh. it's better. Yeah, it's better, but that that could be that could be a conversation for another. Eric time. has takes. I love it. I, I have a lot and then of you takes have Pathfinder, and and why it does fill a specific niche. Pathfinder Kingmaker sold over a million copies. Mm-hmm. That's really impressive, which honestly. is fantastic. For no, a game that's like uh, this. that's amazing for a hardcore mm-hmm. RPG mm-hmm. that frankly did not get a ton of mainstream coverage. No, no. No, and, and and they ported it to consoles, and it was a really good port once they worked out all the bugs. And I played it some uh, with my kids on PlayStation 4 and had a ball with it. And it was enough to where they got an investment in the studio, they raised a couple million bucks, they found a new publisher, and we got this. And I'm pretty sure if there's interest in them doing more Pathfinder Adventure Paths, with their publisher and with Peso, the company in Seattle that makes Pathfinder, they'll continue doing it. Well, they have an established fan base at this point, mm-hmm. so yeah, they, it, I, it's an it's it's an easy sell to publishers. It's a rising tide to like I was thinking about this the other day because I jumped back into Wildermyth, which is very much like trying to adapt the idea of doing a tabletop game in a virtual setting. And so many more people not only are playing D&D nowadays, got into D&D because of the pandemic, but they're also like owning PCs. I know so many people who built PCs recently and stuff. So I feel like CRPGs and you've got Disco Elysium and stuff like that out there, like making this sort of game more approachable to newcomers. And I feel like the the stage is set for something like this to do very well, better than it would have done, say, five years ago. Yeah, and, and what's amazing is, you know, you still have Kickstarter involved with a lot of these up to a point, and, 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 and you know, be it early access or the extensive beta testing that Path, that Alcap did. Alcap probably did beta tests on this for eight months where they let people just play the game in a beta state and continue giving feedback. Um, and I think that more than anything else is what results in a in a better product we're getting from studios like Obsidian and Larian and Alcat now. Eric, when you say that Pathfinder is doing better than it probably would have done five years ago, I'm thinking of like Pillar Pillars of Eternity Deadfire, which just yeah. really flopped. I mean, I'm thinking back on stuff like years ago, I got really into a game called Divinity Dragon Commander that I still think no one's ever heard of. And I think if that game came out nowadays, it'd be it'd have way more interest in it. But back then it was a niche within a niche. (laughs) And 
I think in general, like stuff like Disco Elysium and uh, even Baldur's Gate 3, the fact that it's bringing in a lot of Bioware people like me uh, and being like, hey, what if we teach you what D&D is and how dice rolls work while we give you all this Bioware companion goodness? And they they tricked me. Good job. You got me in. (laughs) What's interesting is I've read surveys of people who, you know, what genres they play and everything. And RPGs actually tend to be kind of near the bottom of mainstream franchises, which doesn't quite read as true to me because games like Skyrim and such are so massive. And I like have to step back for it and think to myself, people who play RPGs, it's all they play and they're very passionate about it. And they are going to play every kind of RPG that they really like. And so even though the audience itself is finite, it is still quite large in the grand scheme of things. And that's how you can end up with a Pathfinder, Wrath of the Righteous, being successful. Yeah, and, and then you get the word of mouth. and, mm-hmm. and that Yeah, helps. the word of mouth is a big help as well. Yeah. I think the sheer yeah. density of all the systems, it makes it very appealing to a lot of people. Yeah, and, and what's so fantastic about this is you can take it at your own pace. You know, if you just want to play an hour or two a night, you could do that. Um or if you're like me, who <clears throat> you know recently left a job and has little <laughs> else to do, I've been playing it seven or eight hours a day. Oh and, wow! Oh, so I don't have that kind of focus and patience. I got to go oh, do other yeah. things. Oh, I I, I do, but it, it, it's also been very therapeutic to me. That makes sense. I mean, I'm also the girl who just put ten successive seasons into football manager mobile so i probably in the space of a month so i think we all have our sins and we all have our thing yeah yeah i haven't touched dota in months (laughs) if if you're a fan if you're a fan of western style rpgs you know the top-down isomeric Baldur's gate type of thing give this a give this a look and i think you will enjoy it if somebody were to pick up wrath of the righteous can you give them some early tips to kind of smooth their way so that they have a more enjoyable experience. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. So um, when you make a character, don't feel overwhelmed. There's a lot of choices, and there are so many different guides to how to make characters out there in Pathfinder that you can find one if you're new to Pathfinder. Um, But when in doubt, make a class that can heal or cast spells because there aren't that many who offer, um, there aren't that many that offer it. And so far, no bards. Hmm. No, no hmm. bards. I, you know, pick it up for our conversation last week. I had to throw that in. Second, um, make sure you have one or two characters who are really good at perception so that you could find all the hidden goodies. Oh, yeah. Third, make sure you have more than one character who's good at trickery. Fourth, try to have either a paladin or a cavalier so you get a animal companion. Either you start out with one or you get one later so that you have an extra fighter with you. But not only that, uh, so my horse, it does all. So so it's one amazing. Sayla, she's a paladin. She's one of the companions and she gets a horse. And that horse does all my athletic and mobility checks because that's the only two skills it has. Mm-hmm. And so you dump all your stats into that. So there's this one part where you're you're jumping from roof to roof in this one town and my horse is doing all the checks. So there's just a horse jumping across the roofs of a town. Are you supposed to be stealthy in this situation? Are you supposed to be sneaking? Not anymore. (laughs) Well, that is the quote unquote stealth way to go. But um, no, you're not sneaky at all. 
Yeah. <laughs> You're jumping off a horse. A horse on a roof is going to make a lot of noise or go right through it. I love so roach. Horses that can jump abnormal heights are in right now. Have you seen the Elden Ring trailer? Oh, I fair, guess. Oh, what's funny is that it'd be like, oh yeah, you're you're climbing down this row. Who's gonna make the athletics check? It's the horse. <laughs> <laughs> so you get ridiculous stuff like this. There's a lot of emergent gameplay as well. Emergent gameplay. It's our favorite kind of gameplay. Indeed. Well, you know, the best kind of RPG is one that gives you lots of decisions, but also ends up where you tell your own story based on what you build, and how you use those characters. Well, Jason, final thoughts or final words on Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous. I'm sure that we could spend hours on this game, but we only have a limited amount of time, unfortunately. So this is my favorite RPG of the year. Before that, it was Chris Tales. Dang. Wow, you and are a big Chris Tales fan. Yeah, I really I haven't heard that. a lot of love for Chris Tales. I think I'm the only one who loves it. I think I ran into too many bugs and it just didn't work out it was a great concept that took on a little bit too much but well it was a small team and yeah exactly but the concept I, is amazing i have a bias i like small teams and oh, i'm, well, I'm probably i'm probably a little well, softer there are worse biases to have that's mm-hmm. for yeah. sure yeah but uh it, it's one of those games that you're going to be able to go back in and tinker and play with over and over again and if you want lots of decisions, if you want cool companion quests, if you want interesting characters to interface with and interact with, and if you want a really challenging campaign where you're finding yourself up against hordes and hordes of powerful monsters and, and strong evil characters, then this is what you want. Just skip the army management. All right, Jason, thanks so much for joining us. Where can we find you? Well, on Twitter, except I haven't been on it very much. Uh, Jason it's underscore for the best. Wilson. Stay off it. it really is. <laughs> and, and, you know, until I figure out what's next for me. All right, Jason. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And that is it for this week's episode of Acts of the Blood God. Go check us out at bloodgodpod.com, our Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. And you can find us on Twitter, twitter.com slash thecatbot. The underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford and Eric is at C Moosey. That's S E A M O O S I. Oh, I have one more thing. Oh my God, Jason, what's up? Oh, I have a special edition to give away of Pathfinder Ref of the Righteous. Oh. So follow me on Twitter and send me a DM if you're interested, and I will pull one randomly. This is for US people only because I just don't want to ship overseas. I, so I don't blame you. It's hell. It's like shipping into hell. Yeah. It has a snow globe. It has a snow globe. It oh. has a cloth map. Ooh. It has an art book. And it has the game. And it, it it's a cool package if you love Pathfinder. And what's that Twitter handle one more time? Jason underscore Wilson, all lowercase. All right. We'll be back next week, as always. But until then, for Eric, Nadia, Jason, myself, thanks so much for listening. And happy adventuring. Happy adventuring.